National Fire Radio. National Fire Radio presents. I wish my head could forget what my eyes have seen. Ten years ago, the groundbreaking firefighting movie burned took audiences closer than they'd ever been. Into the fires and into the lives of the men who fight them. Ten years in the making, the long-awaited follow-up is finally here. The workload has increased and manpower has decreased. Burn X explores stories and characters you've never seen before and continues the journey for many of the Detroit firefighters you met in the first film. Fire class, 2019. Order your two-disc ultimate edition of Burn X on DVD and Blu-ray at burnstore.com or get it for streaming and download on iTunes, Apple TV, Amazon, Google Play, and Voodoo. What is a man's worth that doesn't make the world a better place? into the daily episode real quick i want to talk about the 10 of the month club from taylor's tins national fire radio is the 10 of the month for december 2022 right now our tiller time logo is going out the door from taylor for the 10 of the month club 30 dollars for the tin five dollars of every tin goes to an organization of our choice we chose the joey d foundation the lieutenant joseph p d bernardo memorial fund they are doing incredible things their mission is to give back to our own through firefighter escape systems firefighter safety and survival training and lectures it's an incredible organization so i need your help after the podcast go to taylorstins.com order the tin of the month thirty dollars you can put it in a stocking wrap it up as a gift or just put it up on your shelf knowing that you supported us in an incredible cause so i appreciate you I appreciate you for going after this podcast and ordering a 10 of the month. It means the world to me. Shoot me a DM or an email, nationalfireradio uh, at gmail.com, or send me a DM on social media. Let me know you ordered on. We'll get some swag out in the mail to you, a couple stickers, whatever. We'll get something out the door on top of the tin. So please, let me know you order one. Go to taylorstins.com. Order the 10 of the month club. It's tiller time, baby. It's a beautiful shield going to a good cause. Thank you. Without further ado... The Daily Episode. Hey, everybody. Jeremy National Fire Radio back on the podcast today. A super special guest, a guy that I am just absolutely honored to call a friend and brother, a guy that picks me up, and when I listen to him talk, it just makes me sit back and smile. District Chief Mo Davis from the Houston Fire Department. Hi, Chief. How are you? Hey, brother. How are you, man? Thanks for having me. Oh, I love having you on. This is probably your second or third time. I know we've done some other projects together, too. Mike Phillips and yourself, we've gotten to sit down and just unbelievable times with you. And uh, I think what I love most about our friendship and the brotherhood that we share is just how passionate you are about what you speak about. And I know that what you talk about is the people and our people and the public we serve and you're so passionate about that that it shines through in the conversation. But everybody should know if they haven't had the ability or the chance to meet you yet. And I hope every single person in the American Fire Service gets to shake your hand at one point because it's infectious what you're talking about. It's infectious about how you act, how you talk, how you speak about how great the fire service is and how important it is that we provide the best service we possibly can for the people we protect. Where does that passion come from, brother? It was just the way I was raised in the fire department. You know, I came in around great people and we never um, let any outside influences change the way we felt about the community we serve. And I, um, 
through my career, I just got more and more and more. And I've never, I hope I haven't, I've never lost the fact of knowing that it's about the community we serve. It's not about us. It's, it's about those people who need us. And I, I want us to be great for the people we respond to. So it is, it was just an upbringing in the fire department that I was lucky to have. The people's fire truck. One of my favorite things you talk about, put those kids, that truck pulls out and it's on the street. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the people. That's exactly right. It's the community's fire truck. And in Houston fire department, we put the community we serve on that fire truck. It is our responsibility to clean that fire truck for them. And we always have the mentality and I still have it today that when we make a fire, we let the kids enjoy that truck because that's theirs. And we, we get the honor to ride in it every day. We get the honor to protect them every day. It's, it's, it's weird as that sounds, we protect people every single day we go to work. And we can never forget that if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't get to work in the greatest job that's known to man. So it is our fire truck. If a kid, if we're in a fire scene and a kid wants to climb up in the cab and sit, well, it's an honor to let them crawl up there and sit because it's it's theirs. It should be, yeah, it should be said, Mo, right? So I had the the wonderful uh, chance encounter to be in Texas with Steve and a couple other buddies, and we came down to see you for uh, part of one of your tours you were working in 68s. And we had the uh, fortunate abilities to be there, and and we got to hang out with you and um, and just an incredible group of guys that were working that day, um, guys that I know you very much respect and and um, have an incredible relationship with. It should be said for people that are listening, where you work is a tough town, tough section of Houston. You guys do a lot of firework. You guys are going out the door consistently. Every single day, you are turning wheels and going to work. You are not working in an area that affords a lot of downtime. And so for you to maintain that mentality and that positive spin on, on being there for the people, the people that are constantly calling you for help every single day, a lot of us can potentially be dragged down by that, get turned off by it. Um, we form our opinions that, you know, it's more of a bothersome uh, task to serve the public than actually an honor to be there. And for you, throughout your whole career, working in all these harder neighborhoods with a lot of fire duty, I mean, you've seen the worst of the worst. I know you've seen the best of the best. But it's got to be a, a challenge for many to continually have a smile on their face while providing a service that is, that is a constant daily grind. It is, but fortunately, when I was at 46s, every single member wanted to be at 46s. Yeah. And whenever I was lucky to go to 68s, 68s is probably the melting pot of, of Houston. Any nationality you can think of lives in 68s territory. Um, I'd say over 90% are immigrants, uh, 90% are poor. They need our help. And a lot of times they just need that friendly face to help them through something. And every single member on my shift, and that is all four stations that falls under District 68, gets a group of guys who wants to be there. And I'll give you an example. I had two officers cancel their, their Christmas vacations just to come to work on Christmas Day because they thought that people would need us more on Christmas Day. 
And so wow. you get kind of you get guys like that, and you can't do anything but help the community. And um, and you know everybody knows Houston Fire Department's going through a lot of political things and a lot of fights between. We never let that affect us in District 68. That's the union and the mayor. Our our responsibility 100% is to show up when somebody calls us, be a friendly face, and fix whatever problem they have. If they have a water leak, we fix it. If they have their two-story apartment on fire, we fix it. And everybody that works in that district has the same mentality. And and, and you saw you saw when you were there. Yes. Not one person. Everybody sits at the table, and we talk about how to make the fire service better. And man, what an honor to work with people like that. You know, I just, I, you know, I'm one of those lucky guys. <laughs> well, I, you I, know, I, yeah, I fall into good stuff and I just fell into good crews. And so, man, I'm just blessed. Yeah. Well, you know, okay. Yeah. You can call it some luck, uh, Mo, but I, you, you have a big part of that equation. Um, I think that what stands out to me uh, is your unconditional love and understanding of what this job is truly all about. And I, I think that, you know, when, when you get into the conversations, and I have a bunch of quotes written down from different things that you've done, different conferences you teach at, things that you've said in front of me just off the cuff that I just sat back and went, wow, like it's very profound, very powerful. But, I mean, you know, uh, when, you know when you're talking about uh, I got the people's fire truck out of the way, how about this one? When you put your kids to bed each night, we're the watchers. That came from a political speech that you said in that speech, this is suicide for Mo Davis. 2019, talking at a city council hearing, I believe it was, and you were talking about the service that you need to provide to the citizens of Houston, and your department needs to give you the tools and resources to do that. This is political suicide for Mo Davis. You said that. And it's unbelievable to watch that. And anybody listening to this podcast can go on YouTube and watch that clip. Mo, tell me about that, man. I mean, this is an unconditional putting everyone else first. We talk about it. Everybody talks about it. Mo Davis does it. It, 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 it really is. And that's the way I live my career. I, someone had to say it. And I don't believe in letting someone else do something that I think that that needs to be done. Yeah. I when I when I was on the fire truck, I always wanted that dirty job. I always wanted that dangerous job. I wanted that cleanup job that nobody else wanted. Because if you do it, then you ask someone to do it, they can never say you never lived it. And <clears throat> excuse me, I truly one hundred percent believe in my heart that we are protectors. And I think that families should put their kids to bed at night knowing that there's men and women who are willing to die to make sure their family's okay. And, you know, and I said, I set the standards very, very high for that district. And guess what? All of those guys set that standard high back toward me. Yeah. And we become a very good team because of that. And, and I honestly think 99% of the time, we do a great job. And you know, and I, and I, I stole this from Cody Trestrell. He's a good friend of mine. And sure. man, this guy, he gets it. Oh, yeah. And he, I heard him say years ago, it's about them. 
And man, if we can just keep that in our heart, because, you know, honestly, I could be having a bad day and it doesn't matter because they're having a worse day and they call me. I'm the one that raised my hand. I'm the one that took the oath to protect people in need. So we, I think the fire service has to get away from this me, me, me mentality, this safety culture that we've gone to. And we've got to go back to being firemen that's for the community we serve. Little kids. Yep, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just saying, and, and, you know, when parents put their kids to bed at night, I truly believe that they should be able to sleep good because we're on watch. Yeah. I mean, it's strong. It's powerful. And, and I, you know, couldn't agree with you more. And I think what we have to do is, you know, we got to we got to talk about where the rubber meets the road. Right. We got to we got to make sure that that is the belief every time we turn out. And it's also even before we turn out, chief, because you've made comments too. little kids are dying when we're not on our game. You've said that. That is strong. It's powerful. When you sit down with your guys in 68s or the three other companies that are under your command in District 68, they know that level of expectation from you, right? I mean, they know yes. what Mo Davis wants from them and how they need to turn out. They do. And and we do a lot of training. You know, and I, I know a lot of people go, oh, we train, we train, we train. Well, sometimes training is silly training. You're not learning anything. We try to train to make ourselves better every single day. You know, we can, we can pull holes good. We can cut holes good. We can search good, but we've got to do the part that we don't do well. And we've got to dive into that to make us better. So what I do is about once every six months, we'll have a district meeting and we'll reaffirm why we're there. Or if we get a new person in, we will tell them why we're here. And then the expectations is always there. And I, excuse me, I give them the same 100% effort that they give me. So at a fire, I'm not the guy that's going to be sitting in the car a couple blocks down the street. I'm going to be the guy up there watching. I'm going to be the guy up there that's their safety guy. I'm going to be the guy up there to making sure things are going in the right way because I get involved. And if, if I'm not involved in the incident, I don't think that I can ask them. So it's, it's a, it's a mutual understanding then I give them 100% just like they give me. And it's all on expectations that I set for them and they set for me, and it just kind of jails. No, I get that. And I I know that you are very much a forward command uh, leader. I know that you want to be able to peek your head in that front door. You want to see those lines moving. I think the one thing you told me the one day we were chatting, you go, I want to see those lines moving. Those lines are moving. We're making progress. And, um, right. you know, I think that's I think simple things like that are pretty powerful when you sit back and unpack it a little bit, because it means that you're dialed into the fire ground. And and when you're not there and you're not being able to look in the eyes of the people you're sending to do tasks and assigning jobs to and you don't get to see that look or feel that tempo on the on the front porch or in the yard. Right. Or the adjacent property. I mean, yeah. you feel that tempo and you understand that 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 situation at that hand, and when you're removed to a vehicle, you know it might you're a little bit disconnected, right? And so it's just you are. Yeah, yeah. Go, 
Talk about that a little more because I know that, you know, you lead from the front. And I know not everybody agrees with that position, and that's okay because we're allowed to disagree with one another in, in how we like to work. But for Mo Davis, that's how you work, from the front. Yeah, it does. And you know what kind of, what kind of person am I if I'm sitting in my car and the guys are out in the rain? What kind of person am I if I'm sitting in my car in the heat and the guys are cold? So if you if you want to be a part of a team, you got to be a, and you look at the say an NFL coach. An NFL coach doesn't coach from the press box. Yeah, he's on the sideline. He's on the sideline where you can see what's going on. And so you know, here's a perfect example. It's been a while back. We made a bad one, and it's getting it pretty bad. And and we need a hold. And so I'm there in the front yard when Captain Schroeder walks by. I just kind of put my hand on his shoulder, and I told him, I said, Captain Schroeder, this is a bad one. Be careful, because I was worried about him, but I had guys on the inside, and we had to get it up off of him. So, you know, I'm telling him that it's going to be bad. I want him to be a little extra cautious. But I couldn't I couldn't feel that. I couldn't do that if I was in my car. So then we get we get a little extra, and you remember Jimmy. So yeah. I told Jimmy, I said, man, go up, go up half the ladder and watch him and make sure their feet's okay, make sure they're not sagging. So when we do all this stuff, it, it kind of builds in a safety culture, too. You know, we're always talking about safety, safety, safety. Well, if we get involved, and we should be well-trained. If we're a district chief, I think we should be well-trained. We should have earned the right to be, be in that position. We should have lived it. You know, we, we should have a strong foundation. So if we put all these things to use on the fire ground and we watch it, it makes the guy safer in there. And that's, that's my point of being safe is training and a chief being involved to see what's going on. And we can, we can do good things if we do that. It should be said, too, right, that, I mean, this is the city of Houston, Texas. It's one of the largest fire departments in the country. And so you're not dealing with limited resources, right, Chief? So you have, you know, people that are listening right now are like, ah, you can't be a chief and run the fire from the front door. But, in fact, you have a whole cadre behind you of command staff that's working that fire with you, correct? Oh, I do. Yeah, very lucky. And, you know, I always say Houston Fire Department, we're very lucky. We can throw people at a fire all day long. Yeah. So so for me, um, like I'll assign the second in chief to a, a division, say the say the Charlie division. So then I just write that off my book. And then I, and we're very lucky in the Houston Fire Department. They give us uh, drivers and they're called instant command technicians. Right. Well, we're on the we're on the same page and he's doing all the accountability for me. And we know where where everyone's at at all times of the incident. So um, it's not like a bunch of you know John Wayne freelancing. Right. We have, we have a set task. And and uh, if I can just go back to train it a little bit. Yeah. We actually we actually train on those tasks. First in apparatus is going to be attacked. Second in is going to be a backup line. And so then guys know the order they're coming, what they're going to be assigned. Now we can always deviate from it. But, yes, I have a lot of good help. And then instead of um, our drivers, we call them EOs, instead of them getting on scene and not being involved and they just hang around their apparatus, we put them involved and we get them in. So they will be on the uh, Delta side, the Bravo side. They also become our safety officers because they train with us and they they understand things we're looking for. And I think it's very important to know your district. And so when you put all these things together, you have a lot of accountability 
but you also have a chief who should have a little more training than, say, a two-year firefighter. He's up there watching to make sure things, like, for example, the line. You want to see the line moving. You want to see the smoke changing. And so, yes, I mean, if you, if you get involved and you go forward, and I don't even know where we ever came up with the idea of chiefs staying away from the, the incident. I mean, that's how you manage an incident, by seeing what's going on. Yeah, I, Chief, I wonder if, I wonder, and that's why I kind of wanted to break this down a little bit, because for, for a lot of people where they operate, they have one chief. You know what I'm saying? And that yeah. chief wears a yeah. lot of hats on that fire ground until he gets the support that he needs as the alarms climb, right? And so, but yes. for you, you know, you have the ability to be a hands-on forward chief and not have to sit back and manage a, a board or a command console or accountability tags and all these other things that a lot of yes. departments across the country have to manage. And unfortunately, it falls on your chiefs and until you can get forward chiefs in there that can get onto the fire ground, put an SCBA on, get it to the upper floors, whatever they need to do and whatever tasks they're assigned. When people hear Mo Davis talk about standing at that front door, feeling that line, pulling past his leg or watching the guys go up and cut that hole, it's because you have a whole staff behind you that's allowing you to be in that position. Yes. Yeah. We're very lucky. Yeah. Very lucky to have that. And you know what? I think even small departments can do that to a sense. For example, um, if, if you've got um, somebody brings a brings a tanker to a fire, well, once they get the water established, man, let that guy help you out. You know, unless unless sure. you have to assign him something else. But yeah, we can always because you know I work a part time job where we only have two or three people, and a lot of the same things we do, we do there, like the backup line, for example, mm -hmm. and you know stuff like that. So we just have to alter it to our, our department. And, and again, like you say, I'm very lucky. Now, I should say that if I get up to multiple alarms, like if I'm at a high rise um, and I'm the incident commander, or if I'm at a large multiple alarm apartment fire, now I back off a little bit and I give divisions. Right. And then I set up a command post, but I set that command post up so that I can still see. I don't go back to my car and do nothing. I set a command post up, and I'll just use an apartment, for example. If we have an interior apartment burning and we're going to a multiple alarm, we will set up, say, on a second-floor balcony across from where the uh, fire is. I get good good visual on it. I've got a command post set up. I can see what's going on, and uh, yet I'm still out of it enough to manage, you know, yeah. a couple hundred people. Yeah. So, you know, you're gonna fluctuate and use it. Um, and say a trench, for example. If if we do a trench, well, that trench, I need to be up there seeing what's going on, and I'll try to get it to the head of the trench. Well, I'm out of the way. I see what's going on. I see all the movements, and, and I, you know, I let rescue take over a majority of the decision making on that. But yet, I'm still up there to watch it. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not. I'm not playing catch up. So I just think. It, me and I'm a simple-minded person and um I think it I think it just it just progresses the incident in a positive way yeah well I agree with everything except for the simple-minded person you are far from that brother <laughs> as much as you like to play play it off that way I uh, you have a lot a lot that you bring to the table talk to me a little bit about too because part of this command structure and it's it's interesting to me and I kind of just want to unpack it a little bit more with you 
But it's nice to be able to have a department with the size and resources available that you get basically what you need when you ask for it, right? And and the nice thing about that, too, is the abilities for everybody to be on the same page when it comes to staffing, operations, first in-engine, second in-engine, first through-truck. Like, everybody has their responsibility and jobs, which allows for an ease in the command structure because everything's already predetermined. Right. For the most part, unless somebody throws an audible. Right. Unless something happens that is not the norm. You guys are all coming in with your known tasks and jobs at hand, which makes for a very organized and unsaid fireground. Things don't need to be talked about because they're expected to be done. You're exactly correct. And we're very lucky. We have four man staffing. Sadly, we got that because of loss of a firefighter. Captain Yonke was killed in a high rise. So they came up and they gave us four staffing on all apparatus. So we have a truck crew that does truck work. We have engine crews that do engine work. Rescue companies do rescue company work. And so as these people coming in, you're exactly right. Everyone knows the tasks that they're going to be given. And and I'll say this, um, our high-rise guideline, and something that I really like about Houston Fire Department is we don't run on procedures. We run on guidelines. So we can alter things a little bit to our needs. But for for an example, that the order you arrive at a high-rise fire in the Houston Fire Department, you know what one of your assignments are going to be. You'll be first in engine is going to be lobby. Uh, second, third engine, first truck is going to be the fire floor division. The next two truck companies are going to be our rad teams. So you know the running order you're coming in. You can start getting your mindset that, hey, I've got to get this, 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 and this, and I'm going to be wrapped because I know that I'm the um, fourth truck in. And so you're exactly right. It helps. And, you know, say the northeast side of town may do something a little bit different than us, but in general, the guideline is is almost identical. You could take someone from different parts of the city and you could put them in the game. Yeah. And they're they're going to be pretty much, you know, Maybe not 100%, but they're going to be 90% of like, okay, I know what I'm doing on this one. So, yes. And, and you know, and again, we're very lucky, very lucky to have that kind of structure and have the number of people we have to, to get to get out there and, you know, actually get the work done. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about your uh, the relationship and how important it is with um, – with your technician that rides with you, right? So you you said yes. the title is what is it? Incident command technician or incident command technician? It is okay, and um, it's very important. You have to be on the same uh, playing field, and um, it has to be a two way street. And in my belief, you should get a, a like for me. I spent a majority of my career uh, over at forty six. So when I come to the southwest side. I didn't know a lot about the Southwest side. I needed, I needed to get to uh, where I knew more about it. So I found the oldest chauffeur in that area. And I, I picked him to be my ICT because he knows more about that area than I ever would. So when he, when we make something, I have to be comfortable enough with him that if he tells me something, I trust it. Yeah. Then if I tell him something, he trusts, and it just works. It works great. And um, here's a perfect example. Um, a couple months ago, we had a 211 fire going on, a mass casualty incident going on, and an active shooter incident going on 
all at the same time. Oh my gosh. That is, I have to wow. tell you a story because it's a long story. It is crazy. Yeah. Well, you know what? I have to have the ability to give him 50% of that. Yes. And, you know, just, just because I took a test doesn't mean I'm the smartest guy on the scene. I have to start giving giving things away. So my ICT took 50% of what was on my plate. And then um, Chief App was the second in chief. He was a division. His ICT, they split it up. And before you know it, we were able to take care of everything until we get enough help there. Yeah. So yes, you you have to have a and you have to have the same mentality, I think. And <clears throat> and it's got to be someone. And this is my opinion. It's got to be somebody that's that's uh, fire savvy. You know, um, sometimes people pick ICTs just because they're their buddies, right. or you know they promise somebody. You've got to get that guy that's an asset to your team. And then if a guy's not an asset to your team, then he's the weak link, and we can't have weak links in this. I think um, in the chain in the chain of success in the fire service, there's no weak links. Yeah. You get rid of the weak you get rid of the weak links, and you you build or replace that with a better one. And so in, yeah, it's, it's important. An incredible amount of trust, right? Because when you guys hit the yeah. fire ground together, well, let me let me say this: the one or two the the couple of runs that we ran out with you that day. I watched yeah. the relationship between you two, and it was almost nonverbal, which was super yeah. cool to watch, is that you guys knew each other's expectations up front, and you guys worked together and have such a uh, strong relationship that it was nonverbal in the messages you were giving each other about. And, and it was just fun to watch. It really was fun to watch. Yeah. But there's got to be an unbelievable level of trust there. And for you to put your trust into your ICT like that, that means that you have to be secure in your own place and in your own time and career to allow for somebody else to take on the same responsibilities that you might have when you need him to step up to do so. You have to be confident in yourself to be able to allow somebody else to do that. I, I believe so, and, and I agree with that 100%. You know, um, anyone knows me knows that I am not a micromanager. I, I believe in everyone's equal in that. So let's just say Frank comes up and tells me, he goes, Mo, we need a 211. I don't question what his thought is. I just ask for a 211 because after the fire, he's going to explain to me. And then if I go in, if I go in to work tomorrow morning thinking that I'm the smartest guy in that district yeah. and that it's, it's, only my, it's only my wants and desires, I, I'm a total failure. But whenever I go in, and say there's 50 of us in this district that's 100% equal, and we trust each other. We're trained. We're all equally trained. I'm not. I'm not more trained than anybody in that district. We we all become equal, and then we all trust each other. And it's kind of like a captain that's on the inside fighting fire, and he asked me for a second line. Well, I'm not going to second guess him on the yeah. second line. Yes, I'm right. I'm just going to yeah. give him a second line. And and you know, in the same with the with the ICT, if um, you know, and like the nonverbal communication, that's very important because Frank has a mindset of when he wants to do pars. So I don't say Frank do a part. Frank just does a part, and then he'll tell me, he goes, hey, Mo, everything, everybody's accounted for. Everything's good. We got it going our way. Frank, Frank again on a different channel, and he'll call OEC, which is our dispatch center, 
and he'll say, hey, boost the pressure for us because we need that. I don't have to tell Frank to do that because yeah. we're equal in this, and it's not – I'm not – I'm not going to get my feelings hurt, you know, if he if he makes a decision that makes the incident better. And, and I just think that um, it's kind of like a marriage, you know? Yeah. And you've just got to know each other. You get to feel each other. And something we do, we train everybody equally to that level, too, because if he's off on vacation, we just got somebody that can slide in and – be, be just important because uh, Frank spent a lot of time with him teaching him. And so we have equally trained guys that can, can jump on there and, and do it just as well. And, and I, I think that makes, I hope it does anyway. I think that makes the guys on the inside fighting fire feel a little more comfortable. 100%. They got two guys on the outside on the same page they are, and we're watching for their safety. So, yes, I mean, you're, you're, you're 100% correct. You've got to be on the same page. Yeah, and, and I love, too, because it, part of only it's a 50-50, and part of that equation is you instilling that into Frank, but it's also Frank knowing and understanding that he's allowed to make these decisions and go through with them without having to check it up the line, which then means the job's getting done in real time when it needs to be done, and there's no type of micromanaging to, hey, boss, can I do this? It's more, hey, boss, yeah. I did that. And, and Exactly. And making that connection then allows Frank to understand your ICT to say, I'm allowed to make these decisions because because Mo will have my back, and if he didn't like something yep. I did, we'll talk about it after the fact, and and, and sure. so on. But I that's that is such an important nugget, and for you that is so commonplace. But for so many, it's not. There's not that it, back it, and forth, give and take like that. Yeah, it is. It's got to be, you know. And you know, and when you, in, in my my belief, when you give someone responsibility and you don't micromanage them. They always meet the expectations you have. And I'm going to meet the expectations he has of me also yes. by giving him that leeway. Yes. And, you know, yes. it's not only on the fire ground. It's for everything. You've got to, you know, so I have a bad temper. And I hate going to staff meetings worse than anything in the world. And I get mad. And I'm usually mad all the way down there. And then Frank talks me off the ledge on a personal level. He goes, listen. Don't say anything about this. Just let it go. You know, just so I also got that personal yeah. relationship yeah. with him where he feels comfortable enough to me to say, hey, Mo, you're wrong. And a lot of, a lot of times I am. And I, I need someone to tell me that. Yeah, we need, a checks, gotta, we need know, a checks and balance, man. Sure we do. Yeah. And, um, you know, to a fault, I protect the guys to a fault. I don't care about I don't care about my my reputation. I don't care about my my future in the fire service as much as I do the guys I work with. I think my job as a district chief is to protect the men and women of the Houston Fire Department. Not only the guys that we work with, sometimes we have to stand up for people we don't know and let them know that we care about them. Yes. Well, then to a fall. Sometimes I make a fool of myself and Frank has to bring me back to reality and say, well, maybe that guy needed that Mo, You were off on that. And then I got to go do an apology letter. But yes, it's got to be, <laughs> it's got to be a personal relationship. 
and it's not a work relationship. But the firehouse, and you know this as well as I do, is a brotherhood across. Oh, I lost you. Firehouse. There you go. Sorry, Mo. I lost you. We lost you there for a minute. Go ahead. The bro- oh, no, nope, fire, go ahead. The brotherhood. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a brotherhood across the world, and we've always got to remember that. And we have to be approachable to keep us grounded, just like everyone else in the firehouse. And it, it's good to have someone that's brave enough to tell you that. You know, you just you said something that's just I'm writing it down. Um, which it kind of struck me that I haven't thought of this before. I haven't had this thought until now, and you said it, is that these are personal relationships. You know, it's not because we're asking people to potentially lay down their lives for the mission of what we stand for. And so the importance of a personal relationship with your people, not just a professional one. I, I, yes. I haven't thought of that before. Have you ever explored that? Like, do you talk about that in any of your classes or anything? Because I, 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 I do. I think it's important. Like, like the guys at my station, the younger guys all have children. Yeah. Well, well, I have to know that. And I have to know that if they come in in a bad, bad way or something's going on, I have to step in and be a buddy. You know, if or if someone's having a having a bad day with their wife. I've got to be their buddy. So I you have to know everybody's personalities. You have to stand at the kitchen table and you saw that when you were visited. Yes. That's how that's how we know each other. Yeah. You know, and the same goes to me. They know if I'm having a bad day. And uh <clears throat> excuse me. If um if if a guy if I know a guy has a baby. And I know that it's a newborn baby, and he comes into work, and he looks tired. I know why, because he's got a newborn baby. Then if I'm not involved in their lives and in their family's lives, and I don't care about them enough, man, I'm a failure. And um, and, and, and we can't be failures. If, if you're in the leadership role in the fire service, you can't be a failure. If you're a failure, you got to change something. And it all goes back to the simple concept. And if every fireman across the world would get this one concept down, if we care, we win. We're successful when we care. Yes. We care about our members. We care about ourselves. We care about the community we serve. Caring is the biggest goal of a fireman across the country. Because when you care, you do things right. And that's why you've got to know your 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 guys and your family, and they've got to be part of your family, and you've got to understand them and know. And when they bring their kids to the firehouse, you've got to let them know that you care about them, and you've got to let them go. And it just it just builds a good, well-rounded culture because everybody cares. It takes work. It does. It is, it is truly like a marriage. Yeah. It takes work, and we're not always going to get along. You know, we're going to have little we're going to have little tiffs every now and then. Yeah. But guess what? We come right back, and when the booper goes out, man, we're right back to being best friends again. And then usually after a, after a good fire, guess what? You're not mad at each other anymore. Yeah, that's right. 
That's right. But it takes work. And I mean, it takes work because you got to get out from your office. You got to get out from behind the steering wheel. You got to get out from, you know, being buried into the computer or phone and actually go talk to your people and see what's making them tick today. I mean, it takes work to dive in. It's more than just going to fires. It takes work to learn your people. It does. The kitchen table should be a sacred place in every firehouse across the country. We solve problems. We talk fires. We fix things. We joke. We laugh. You know, um, we don't we don't do a lot of a lot of CISM uh, in my district. And the reason we don't do a lot of CSM in my district is because we debrief each other at the table. Yeah. You know, and there's there's nothing wrong with calling a guy off to the side, giving him a big hug, and say, "Man, what do you need?" And then all of a sudden they start talking, and we don't have to talk to people we don't know. They get to talk to people who care about them. You know, if, if we if we make a bad incident, then we're going to fix each other. And then if we can't, we will get somebody involved in. But I'd say 99.99% of the time, we fix them ourselves. And, yeah. and it's easy to fix at the kitchen table. It's hard. I mean, you say it's easy to fix, but I know, I know firsthand um, a lot of I, just the the conversations that have to happen because you guys, the Houston Fire Department, was rocked with a lot of tragedy over the years. There's been a lot of line of duty deaths. There's been a lot of tragedy that's come from aggressive firefighting, putting people in positions, and unfortunately, things went south. And so I know, and being at 68s with you that day, I know that there's a, the plaque and pictures on the wall, and it's a daily reminder to those that are serving yeah. out of that firehouse about uh, about their fallen comrades. And I, I, I just yeah. know that that's got to be for you as a boss. When you are dialed in like you are and you care so much and that you work at making sure that Mo Davis is the one that's taking care of his people, it's got to be very hard for you when days like that happen. It, it does. It, it, it roots you to the core. Yeah. And then the anniversary, which... You know, Houston Fire Department does something very good every morning. Um, we have morning taps. It goes off at 0630. And they always recognize a member of the Houston Fire Department who was killed in the line of duty on that day. Wow, and good. we make we make, we may go back to the 1900s, hmm. but everybody sits there and will listen to that person. And then you just think for a second, man, and then you, 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 know, you continue to work with it. But, yeah, sometimes it's tough. And, um, you know, we, sadly, we've lost a lot of people. We've lost a lot of people in my career. And, um, but, you know, we just kind of, we pull back up and we go back to work because as, as cold and callous as this sounds, we have to come back strong because the community doesn't stop needing us. Yes. And I lost, I lost a good friend of mine (coughs) and I I think about him all the time. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, you know, if it was the other way around, he would do the same thing. You know, it's uh, the community that's the community doesn't stop needing us because we have a bad day. You know, a couple of years ago, uh, we lost a kid um, on Christmas Eve one morning and just ripped the guy's hearts out because they tried, they tried, they tried. Well, a couple hours later, we're right back to working at another fire. So we've got to put that to the side. We got to go back to work. Well, then about nine o'clock that night, we made another fire that had another fatality. And so as, as sad as those two fatalities were, we still had 
10 hours of work to go because the community doesn't stop needing us because we're having a bad day. Yeah. And um, I think I think we fix each other and we fix each other at the station and the firehouse and we fix each other on the apparatus floor. We fix each other at the kitchen table. And then when the booper goes off, we give that community 110 percent and they don't know we're having a bad day. Mo, talk to me a little bit about yourself. I mean, your your early days, I think, probably set the stage for how you are and who you are today <laughs> in the fire service. But I also know that you yep. are with the with the the consuming personality that you have, the endorsement of your people. I also know that you are a true gentleman. You are a family man. You love your family, your wife, and daughters. Um, your upbringing, I'm sure, had a lot to do with your generosity and caring of people. Talk to me about how important foundations are, whether it's in your personal life or in the firehouse, your early days, mentorship, all those things. I mean, because here you are 27 years in the Houston Fire Department, and you're you're just still in love, enamored with not just the Houston Fire Department, but the fire service. It's, it's go ahead, please. Yeah, no, the foundation's everything. You know, I had a I had a great upbringing. You know, uh, a rural area. My mom and dad pushed us to be the best we could be. And I'll I'll tell you a funny story that you know your mom and dad's still your mom and dad. You know, I was a grown man in the fire department, and I went by to see him one day, and I was complaining about a rough night. And my dad brought me back to reality. He goes, hey, man, they didn't draft you for that job. You volunteered for it. <laughs> I'm like, hey, man, that's, you know, so. Good you know, to see, your, your nice to see you dad. too, Dad. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ah, I love that. And so I was like, you know what? He's, He's right. right. He's and, right. Yeah. And so then when I, when I came off the tower, I went to a great area. And then whenever I got to 46s, I just fell into something that was great. I worked for J.D. Curtis. I worked for John Zapata, and I worked for Dale Jenkins. Those are historically tough, tough officers in the Houston Fire Department, and I loved every single one of them. I worked for Chief Hooker, a guy named Chief Lemoyne, and then through their acquaintances, I got to, I got to know Chief Phillips. I got to know his expectations of me, and so I was – I was so lucky to be surrounded by Houston Fire Department's best. Yeah. So as a young man, I got a strong foundation in hard work ethic, caring, and it wasn't about you. It's about them. You never heard those guys talk about, you know, Captain Curtis was an old Vietnam vet. Man, he, he, man, he was as mean as a rattlesnake, but then he loved his guys, you know? So, um, that's just um, the, the foundation is everything. Your family, you've got to have a strong family foundation. You can never forget that and lose that aspect. But the fire service continues to carry over. And, you know, my mom said she knew I wanted to be a fireman when I was a kid. My grandfather was in the civil defense. Yeah. And I can remember seeing them as a kid. They were they were dragging for a body at a lake one time. And I thought that was the coolest thing I ever seen. A bunch of guys in these cool these cool apparatus <laughs> yeah. wearing, wearing yeah. jumpsuits, man. That's uh, gonna be me. That's awesome. And then as I got older, I wanted to be a big city fireman. And you know, thank God I got in the Houston Fire Department, and it just carried on. But you know, um, a strong work ethic that my mom and dad gave me as a child, and you know, my dad, 
My dad's a union guy. Yeah. My, my dad has fought for people my entire life. Wow. And, um, yeah, he was always active, you know. And so I think I get a lot of that from my dad that, you know, um, I, I feel like I have to stand up for the weak. Yeah. Like, you know, a few years ago, they were talking about laying laying some Houston firemen off. Well, I had to make myself look like a fool to make those 200 young guys and girls know that somebody cared about them. So I don't care if I look like a fool. So I got a couple hundred people know that at least one person cares about them. So, Powerful. You know, that that's a that's a foundation yeah. that my dad said. And, and, you know, he didn't tell me that. He didn't tell me that. I just, I just saw it. The man of you action. I, exactly. And that's, um, you know, we had responsibilities as kids we had to take care of. And um, that carries over that. But, you know, it's like my dad said, man, you didn't get drafted. You volunteered for it. Yeah. And it's true. Yeah. So, Talk, so, so do you realize then, I mean, have you realized, I'm sure now more so than you were probably when you were coming up and riding that back step and just loving life, going to fires every day and, and just being tutored and mentored by some really hard-hitting fellows, right? But that's yes. you today. And you're now laying a found, <laughs> You're part of that strong foundation and bringing forth all of what you learned now to the table for those that are coming up behind you. And how impactful you are, how impactful your words are, but not just your words, just like your father, your actions, man. Your actions speak louder than words. And as much as you get up in front of the city council and tell them what you need, or you get up in front of your own people and you tell them what we're doing, it's your actions. And by you leading from the front chief, you're doing that every single day, man. You're making your father proud, your mother proud, and you're making everybody else, all those guys that mentored you early on. And I want you to believe, I want you to understand that I think that you have such an infectious attitude and, and personality about the job that everybody needs to hear your message and everybody needs to share a drink or a conversation with you because frankly, it makes a difference and it's impactful, man. And uh, I, I just, I'm so honored to call you a friend uh, and, and to know you um, because you make me better. So I appreciate you, man. Brother, I appreciate that, man. You know, me and you're good friends, man. I love you like a brother. <laughs> and uh, it's a, uh, I mean, I appreciate that compliment. I hope, you know, that's, uh, that's all I've ever worked for. You know, it's just, uh, when I'm gone here in probably, you know, 12, 15 years from now, um, I hope there's, there's some young guy coming up and said, man, Mo helped me out. Or, you know, yeah. Mo stood up for me. It's, uh, so I hope. Yeah. Well, I, I think you are certainly making that type of an impact. And, um, I think that your message is loud and clear. I think we need more of that. I think we need to know, what it's like to have Mo Davis as the boss at that front door. And I think the guys that go inside for you every single day feel the support and that command presence behind them. And, uh, and I think that speaks volumes, brother volumes. Thank you so much, man. That means a lot. brother. Well, what means the world to me is the fact that you take an hour out of your day to chat with me. (laughs) And, um, you know, it's nice because it's a little bit selfish for me just to catch up with you. And, um, you know, and if I got to do that by recording our conversation and and sharing it, that's what I'm going to do because it allows me to talk with you, but it also shares a very good message. And I think this, uh, this past uh, hour with you has just been awesome. And I can't thank Thank you enough for taking time out of your day and sharing it with me. 
truly. Thank you so much, man. So what's, I, I guess I'll see you in uh, March and April then. Yeah, I'm going to see you. I'll be down your way in March, April. I'll be out in Indy again um, and so on. So, yeah, we got a lot coming up, too. And I got some other projects on the side that I was going to talk to you about anyway. So we'll we'll catch up about that as well. Um, what's next for Mo Davis? What do you got going on? You teaching anywhere? You got anything lined up in the yeah. immediate? Yeah, we're uh, we're getting ready to go to Oklahoma. Um, I got some things around, you know, around Texas that we're doing. Um, February, we're in Oklahoma. Uh, after Oklahoma, I want to say maybe Arkansas. But, yeah, I mean, 2023 is already booked up. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm just so lucky, man. I'm like, I get to go talk fire talk. So, uh, <laughs> you know, and I'm excited about FDIC. I've never... Um, got to teach at FDIC, and man, I am setting on goal for that one. Well, that's great. So, um, I hope some people show up to hear it, but, uh, well, but I'm excited. We will promote the hell out of it for you, brother, because uh, I want everybody to hear your message, and I think it's super important that they do. And uh, I'm so happy that you're getting out onto the national stage like you are and, and getting gobbled up by these conferences because it's a way to get your message out there. And um, I just, I'm so happy that you have that ability and people are really seeing the character that you are and what you bring to the table. So I'm excited for the future of Mo Davis for sure. And uh, that's awesome, man. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for being on the episode today. And uh, I appreciate you. Thank you, brother. And it means the world to me and I'll see you soon. Yeah, for sure. Stay right where you are. Don't hang up. I'm just going to sign off the episode here and then I'll get right back to you. So hang on one sec. Okay, chief. Okay, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Guys, thanks for tuning in for another episode of the National Fire Radio Podcast, District Chief Mo Davis. Go on YouTube, look up Mo Davis, and look at some of the videos of him. His passion shines through, whether it's a keynote speech or him going to bat for his guys to the city council. It's on YouTube. Check it out on the social media links because this guy brings so much passion and love to the job. He's a dear friend, and I'm honored to have him on the podcast today. A lot of great nuggets came out of this, so do me a favor. Take some of this conversation today. Take it back to the firehouse and talk about it because when we talk about it, we're making the job better. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you at the next one. Jeremy, National Fire Radio. Hey guys, Jeremy, National Fire Radio. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of the podcast. Today's episode is a little bit different. The script gets flipped on me, and instead of me hosting the podcast, I am a guest on the Primary Complete Podcast Show with Steve and Matt. These guys are doing a great job, a bang-up episode, uh, a lot of great nuggets in there and things that I've talked about that I truly have not really talked about before on any other platform or podcast. So buckle up, enjoy the conversation, and as Matt and Steve say from the show, make conversation great again.